Hey there, you're listening to Ghost Notes, the podcast where we talk about music inside and out. I'm Noah, but you probably know me better as Polyphonic. And I'm Corey, and you probably know me as Twelve Tone. And today we're going to be looking at the question of can music be bad? And I think just to just to establish some ground rules here, uh, the question that we're definitely not asking is can there be music you don't like? Yeah. I think that's pretty self-evident. Yes. But I think the more interesting question, the question we're probably going to be spending most of this episode looking at, if we don't get distracted, is can there be music that if you do like, you are in some meaningful way wrong? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, this is this is like the ultimate ghost notes question, you know? I feel like this is something that we <laughs> yep. brush up against a lot, both you and I, in our content, in our social media presence, and also just on this podcast here. It's it's a favorite of both of ours, and both of us have very similar approaches to uh, music in general. Yeah, it's definitely come up a lot. I think we definitely talked about it in sort of the episode on what to do with music you don't like, and sort of I think in the Artistic Intent episode as well. But one reason that I sort of wanted to talk about this now is that like for a long time, as I'm sure you know, I've been a pretty vocal proponent of the idea that art is subjective. Yes. And I've kind of been moving away from that. Okay. But not in the direction that the construction of that sentence presumably implies. All right. I, w- I want to hear this. I'm, I'm very interested now. So basically... I've been realizing, I don't think that my view has changed that much, but I think that what I've been coming to realize is that when I say art is subjective, I mean something different than what I think a lot of people mean when they say that and what I think a lot of people hear when I say that. Okay. So basically, I've been moving away from the idea that art is subjective and more towards the idea that art is attachment, if that makes sense. I'm going to need you to elaborate a bit, I think. Okay, so basically, in, I think the general understanding of the model that art is subjective, you and I can look at the same piece of art and have very different experiences, very different reactions, different views, and different opinions. Yes. But in the artist attachment model, you and I can't look at the same work of art. Oh, okay. Okay, I like this. I like this. This is sort of, it's a question for me of sort of shared externalities, right? This idea that like, In the general understanding of art as subjective, as far as I can tell, there's this idea that there is a work of art that is a separate external object that you and I can agree on. To to use a a concrete example, let's use Pink Floyd's Welcome to the Machine, right? You and I, in the art as subjective model, we understand, we have a shared understanding of what Welcome to the Machine is, what that work of art is represents when we talk about it. We have different ideas of what it means. We have different ideas of like how good it is maybe, but we are talking about the same object. Yes. But in sort of the way that I have found that I think about these things, I don't really think that's true. I think that fundamentally the object that we are both, that we share, that we agree on, that is external to our own experience is a collection of sound waves. Yeah. And those sound waves don't take on meaning. They don't become art and they don't become music until they are experienced. That the art itself is in that interface between you and the object and is not a property inherent to the object. I've had interesting thoughts on this before because I, I do always I do always think that like 
Like we've talked about this before in like our what is music episode, right? Yeah. Where it's like, what is music? And our, our kind of consensus was something that you treat as music is music. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it's this is sort of like a elaboration of that concept. Yeah. That's that's really interesting. So what it what is it? Is there a specific reason why this has been bouncing around in your head lately? I think honestly, partly just like doing these podcasts and talking with you about music and art has got me just thinking about these things a lot more deeply in general. Yeah. But I think that in terms of the question of, because we've had like, can music be bad on our list of potential topics for a long time? Yes. And it was actually like sort of when I started thinking about doing that as an episode of this, that I really started sort of putting a lot of this together that had, had been in my head for a long time. Again, I don't think I've really changed my views on the topic very much, but I've changed sort of how I understand the terminology around them and how I understand other people's understanding of that terminology. Yeah. And so I think the reason that it's that I think it's relevant here is because I think in the artist's subjective model, when we're looking at a question of like, is this song good, then we have to allow space for you and I to have different subjective opinions. But in the artist attachment model, if the question, is this piece of music good, is kind of fundamentally nonsensical. It's ill-formed as a question. It's kind of like, how tall is purple, right? Yeah, yeah. Because if I ask you, how good is Welcome to the Machine, you are talking, your answer is about a different work of art than the one I'm asking about inherently. I'm just trying to like make sure, I, I think I get what you're yeah. saying, but to make sure that like all of the audience is clear here. So it, it, I, I think essentially what you're saying is that when you listen to Welcome to the Machine, you bring your whole kind of like baggage and personal history and also just, yeah. I mean, even even kind of external things like what you're listening to it on, you know, which headphones, yeah. whether you're listening to it on vinyl or streaming, what what the room around you is like when you're listening to it. You're bringing all of these externalities My and emotional kind of state at the moment, yeah. internalities to it to the point where like, I mean, to use an example, that's that's a favorite one of the Ghost Notes show is your Jackson Brown sure. song, right? Sure. Yeah. Song for Adam. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Song for Adam. Yeah. Where you're always talking about kind of like your own personal baggage and emotional connection to that piece that you bring to it. And you're saying yeah. that essentially makes it a fundamentally different piece than when I listen to it. Yeah, I think that's sort of the distinction that I'm making is that, you know, when, when we talk about artist subjective, I think there is that assumption that you are bringing your own baggage and you are bringing your own viewpoint. But my argument here is that that baggage and that viewpoint is what makes the art, is what makes it into an actual work of art with meaning, with artistic qualities with artistic meaning and artistic whatever is because you are experiencing it and observing it in that specific context. And until someone does, and again, this, this doesn't have to be someone else, right? You can make art for yourself. Like I can compose a song. I can listen to it. I don't need anyone else to listen to it for it to become art. But if I'm not experiencing it, then it is still, then it becomes just a collection of sound waves because art is a cultural thing more than it is sort of a a physical quality of objects, right? Yeah, yeah. That's interesting, because I think one of the questions there is kind of like, I feel like that brings you into a point where you can look at a piece yeah. and kind of 
get down to the minuscule level because then it's also the question of like, let's take our Welcome to the Machine example. Sure. If I just, if I listen to Welcome to the Machine, can I experience different parts of that song as different pieces of art then? Or is it, if like, if I frame Welcome to the Machine in my head, like if I'm listening to that and I'm like, okay, well, I'm, I'm just going to listen for the guitar solo. Am I listening to the guitar solo as a different piece of art or as part of a broader piece? I mean, again, or I say again, but just to be clear, this is something that I've been thinking about recently and is not a fully formed. So a lot of this, my answers here will just be speculation from what feels natural to me. And of course, you are welcome to disagree or have your own viewpoints. Yeah. I mean, I think I think a lot of I think a lot of what this is uh, what this episode is shaping up to be is just kind of like interrogating this question yeah. rather than creating any clear answers. Yeah, no, creating clear answers has never been what Ghost Notes is about. Yeah, exactly. But I do think kind of the idea of sort of fragmentation of art into smaller arts. Yeah, kind of feels artificial to me in a way, right? Like. I feel like the distinction between listening to the guitar solo as its own work of art or listening to it as a larger piece of art is sort of misses the point of what the experience is. Okay. So I I think that you can do either, but again, a lot of this is baggage that you're bringing subconsciously, right? And so you personally, as someone who has heard Welcome to the Machine probably multiple times, I assume, can't really listen to the guitar solo without being at least somewhat aware of the context that surrounds it. And also the context of Wish You Were Here and the context of Pink Floyd in general, because, you know, you are who you are. Yeah, well, I think that's one of the questions then is, can you listen to Welcome to the Machine without the context of Wish You Were Here then? I mean, you can without... If you've never heard Wish You Were Here and I play you Welcome to the Machine, you're not going to fill in the context of Shine On You Crazy Diamond because you've never heard it. I like, hope not. That would be impressive if you were just like, oh, yeah. what if what if they had this be like- quite the talent. This feels like it would go sandwiched well between <laughs> a couple of 15-minute songs and- Yeah. No, you know, you know what this would go perfectly after this is just like a song about like the exploitation of the music business. That yeah, feels like and, and, yeah, perfect, yeah. And then if you followed that up with just the saddest thing you've yeah, ever heard. no, it, perfect. <laughs> Great instincts. But yeah, no, I, I think that, again, there's an extent to which you can consciously separate yourself from the baggage you're bringing. And I think that has merit and is worth doing in some contexts. But you're also always going to be experiencing art as a holistic thing that is more than the sum of its parts. I think that that is yeah. sort of the nature of art that's, is that it becomes more than it is. And that's sort of... Yeah, yeah. I would say that's almost like, yeah. in my mind at least, almost like the the purpose yeah. of art, for lack of a better term, is to create something that gives you an experience beyond the purely kind of like objective physical experience. Yeah, it. no, I mean, and that I think is sort of where the art is attachment part comes from because there are definite characteristics that we can certainly agree on as externalities. People who are good enough at transcribing music will probably transcribe Welcome to the Machine basically the same way, no matter what. They'll agree on what notes are where, what the rhythms are, like 
But all of that becomes welcome to the machine when you experience it, when you listen to it, or when you read the lyrics or whatever you're doing, or when you analyze it. And that 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 sort of holistic experience is a thing that you are bringing to the table more than a thing that you are sort of being brought, if that makes sense. It's it's sort of an, a more active experience than the artist's subjective approach where you're sort of having a viewpoint. Here, I, my argument is that the viewpoint is active participation inherently. You have to bring yourself and you have to bring these experiences to the work of art in order for it to become art. So I've had a, a thought experiment that I've kind of pondered on before. Um, and I, I mean, I actually kind of had it with, I was talking with a friend about visual art, but you can do the same experiment with music where like, so let's say you program a computer to write a song. Sure. You program a computer to write a song. You have this song file. All of the data is in that file, but it is never opened or consumed by anybody. It just sits on this computer. L- let's say it's a thing where, you know, you programmed a computer to yeah. randomly write a song. So it's not yeah, like yeah. you programmed it to write the specific notes or stuff. Like you have this random algorithmically generated Yeah, just use file. some deep neural like, net or whatever. Is, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, in, in essentially, in this in this kind of framework we're talking about, that file would not be a piece of art until somebody listened to it. So, see, the thing is that I think the act of doing that is its own sort of performance art. Yes. I would say the audio of it is not art, but the act of it and the act of making it and storing it is its own sort of art, with its own sort of like commentary on something so then here's maybe a more specific question would it be a piece of music uh, no i wouldn't say so yeah I, yeah that see i th- i think i think that's interesting because like the the i i, I think the instinct the kind of what what yeah. makes intrinsic sense to a lot of people would be well yeah it's a piece of music because as soon as someone picks it up and listens to it yeah you know then it will be a piece oh, yeah. of music. As, as soon as someone opens that file and plays it, then yeah, it will become a piece of music. But I, I would argue that until you have some experience of, like, until someone has some experience of the work, it doesn't really make sense for me to me to call it art. Whereas again, yeah. I, I think the external process of creating it is its own sort of art that is sort of separate. Yeah. Although I think, you know, sort of like 433, I think like, you have to accept it as music for the performance art aspect to make sense. So I don't know. Maybe there's an argument there that it is sort of playing on your understanding of what music is and therefore needs to count as music in order to work. But it's just like an instinctively when, when you ask that, it's like, no, um, you know, if, if you play a song in a forest and no one's there to hear it, is it still music? No, I don't think so. Yeah. The thing is here is we're going to, I'm going to do a little inside baseball here from the, from the perspective of a podcaster <laughs> I, uh, like as a person, I think I like really generally just like completely agree with you on this. Like, I think it's, I mean, I hadn't thought of this before. It's not like this is something that I've like yeah. thought, but it, it goes in line with a lot of my perceptions of art, but also we're 10 minutes into an episode and, yeah. uh, I think there's a lot more to explore here. Yeah. So I want, I'm definitely going to be, I'm interested in playing <laughs> with this idea and pushing against it yeah. and, you know, coming up with thoughts on it, but just from a like one-on-one perspective, like, I I really, like, this is a 
take that really resonates yeah. with me, I suppose. Cool. Yeah, that honestly, from having done this podcast with you for over a year now, that does not surprise me. Yeah, yeah. So I I mean I think I think the the next kind of question with an idea like this is kind of like okay, what's almost like what's the point of holding this thought? You yeah. know, what is the value of thinking of art in this sense? Yeah, well again, I think that comes is sort of why I wanted to think about this in the context of the question of whether music can be bad because I think that it presents a different understanding of what musical quality can be, right? Cuz I think that you know, to to pick like sort of a more less art example, um I come from New England, which is a fairly northeastern part of the United States. It gets fairly cold there. Probably not as cold as where you are in Canada, but like it gets pretty cold there. Actually, where I it gets colder than where I am in Canada because I'm in Vancouver. I have no idea what the temperatures are in Vancouver, but it you know, it gets down pretty consistently like below 0 degrees uh, Fahrenheit. Like that that happens most winters, uh less so these days yeah. for reasons. But, you know, it, that historically, that's very much been a thing. And so I'm pretty used to cold. Whereas, like, there are people yes. from, you know, equatorial climates who are just not. And so if we're both in a yeah. room that's, like, 50 degrees, they're going to feel colder than I am. But there is still a temperature, yeah. right? And we're going to have different perspectives on that temperature. And so the experience of the temperature is subjective, but the temperature itself exists. And I... Yeah. Like, whereas, and so I think that that is sort of how a lot of people think about artistic quality. You know, like there's, you and I will have different opinions on how good Welcome to the Machine is or how good, you know, Photograph by Nickelback is. But like, greatest song you know, ever the, written. The art is still there. The art is something that is sort of separate and external and agreed upon. And so the point of thinking about it in this way is to sort of partly to sort of complicate the idea that you and I can have, you know, different perspectives on the quality of the same piece when I'm not sure that, again, we're viewing the same piece in the first place. But I think it also helps to sort of recognize the active role that you as the listener or the the, the viewer, or depending on the type of art, but focusing on music, the listener, bring to the table, right? I think that especially in sort of the way that we look at, have sort of culturally looked at classical music. There's sort of this idea of yeah. sort of disembodied performance where the music is and the people on stage do their best to create the music that is. And you as the audience do your best to receive the music as is. And my argument is that everyone in that process is contributing to the music in ways that, get sort of subsumed and overlooked when you start trying to sort of define a separate musical object from what is experienced, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I, I think I think it makes sense. Cool. And I think the other main thing that it does, and this is maybe a little bit more concrete, is that it helps resolve what I find to be one of the most difficult conundrums in these sorts of debates about artistic quality, which is, I think, a common refrain among like the artist's subjective crowd is that if you like it, it's good art, right? 
yeah. that those are similar. I, those are the same thing. I think I've made that argument. I think you've made that argument. I've definitely made that argument. <laughs> yeah, and it it resonates with me, right? I think it's correct, but there's sort of always been this one glaring counterexample that I've found historically really difficult to sort of resolve and integrate into whatever model I'm using, and that's MST3K style mock watching, right? Oh yeah, like so, like ironic enjoyment. Yeah, things like The Room or songs like Ice Ice Baby, where yeah. like you watch them or engage with them usually socially to yeah. because they're bad and you enjoy them because they are and I mean, not good. Yeah. Often there's even like a like performative enjoyment of them. Yeah. Like Sandstorm by Darude is another one that I feel like people like have that real like ironic love for even though it's just straight up a banger (laughs) it is a very good song uh but like to draw an example from my life uh over the last year or so my sibling and i watched through the entire original 1980s thundercats cartoon and we really liked it it's on hulu if anyone's if anyone wants to check that out we really enjoyed it we had a great time but it's also a cheaply made sloppy children's toy commercial yeah like you very clearly, like I don't want to put too much on like the voice actors or the animators or the writers because you know they were they were just having a good time. But like at the production level, the people in charge of making the show did not care if it was good. Fundamentally, yeah. very yeah. clearly, and that was part a lot of what made it fun was just sort of like to either lean into it at times and like really get into things that were obviously silly or like just make jokes about how, you know, weird editing or animating or whatever. Because again, they had an animation budget of $15 an episode. (laughs) Oh my God. I made that number up. That's not real, but you know, it- Yeah, it it gives a good sense. Bare bones, the least they could possibly spend. Except I will say the music, surprisingly good. Yeah. And I think that's because they only had to pay for it once. Not like on a per episode basis. Anyway, the point that I'm making is that like, if you ask me if Thundercats, like the original Thundercats, is good art, then I think the answer I have to give depends on what the art is, right? Because if it's if the art is the show, then as much as I might want to, I really can't argue with a straight face that what they made was good. Yeah. But if the art is my experience of the show, they didn't make that. Yeah, that I makes- made that. That, that makes yeah. a lot of sense. Yeah. 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 No, me and my sibling took this, took the raw materials that the showmakers had provided and used that to create joy and meaning and connection. And so if that's what the art is, then I do feel much more comfortable still saying that it is good art, even if, again, the show itself is not. Yeah. Yeah. So and, if the art yeah. is the experience of the art, then. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, then I then I don't have to deal with this whole problem of like what what do I do with these things that like I want to say all art that you enjoy is good art, but I don't necessarily like how do I deal with these things that you are enjoying because they're bad art. Yeah. There's this thing where sometimes it just feels like something is off and is like bad art, you yeah. know, like the room or something like that. And you can go into you can go into these technical things. But as we all as we all know, technical like considerations for this stuff, you can throw it out the window in a thousand different ways. Oh, but yeah. you just you just get 
vibes of it that's not good, but you enjoy it. Um, yeah, yeah, you're enjoying the experience of that kind of ironic self-awareness of the kind of artifice and creation of this art. Yeah, and you can think of it sort of like, you know, they gave you these, they gave you paints to work with, but you're still the one painting. Yeah. And maybe they gave you some like ugly garish colors. Maybe they gave you like vomit brown or whatever, but you can still turn that into something that you're happy with. And yeah. in that sense, again, because again, this has, has always been a thing that I never had a really good answer for until recently of like what to do with things like The Room or like Thundercats where it's just, yeah, you know, it's not well made. And I'm not like, it's not something like the shags where, you know, it's, you can argue in a lot of ways that the shags yeah. like philosophy of the world isn't well made or whatever, but it's genuinely enjoyable to listen to. And you get that sort of like that innocence and that naivete that like really makes yeah. it feel genuinely fun. Like I'm not laughing at the shags when I'm listening to their music, but I am laughing at Thundercats. Like I'm not yeah. laughing with it. And sort of separating that out and is, has been tricky when I've been trying to argue that art you enjoy is good art until I realized Thundercats wasn't the art. Yeah, that makes sense. It's a really kind of, it's a, a, a difficult kind of question because it's breaking down the yeah. fundamental mental tenets of kind of what we're getting to. I mean, there's, yeah, I'm not like a huge philosophy nerd, but I have a friend who's a big philosophy nerd and talks about a lot about Wittgenstein. And apparently what Wittgenstein says is, a lot of philosophical debates are actually essentially linguistic debates, right? Yeah. And I, th yeah, I, think, I think that's, yeah. I think this kind of falls into that category of we're trying to figure out linguistically what constitutes as, uh, you know, a song or a, a piece of art more broadly. Yeah. And I think also just like, to be clear, like this is all very pedantic and academic and philosophical and like it, it's not necessarily necessary to think about music and art at this sort of level in day-to-day -day conversation right like it, you know if, if you're if your friend is like oh this song is good like you don't have to react and be like oh but Corey from 12 tone said that art is attachment and therefore yeah. the song that you say is good is not the song that i, I just just agree with them or don't. I don't, it's not, it's not that hard. <laughs> I think it's also worth noting that, I mean, I don't know about you, but when I listen to music generally, sometimes I'll like listen to it for work and think about yeah. this stuff. But on my own, if I'm just chilling out and listening to a song, this stuff is not running through my head. This, no. this is stuff that doesn't tend to affect that much of, it, it doesn't really affect my experience of a song if I'm just driving in the car and, you know, Taylor Swift comes on and I start singing along. It's more kind of broadly interrogating these things, playing with these questions can just on the whole slowly evolve you to just better understanding how you perceive music. Yeah, I, I think it does sort of on, on that note affect how I analyze music, right? Like it's, yes. it doesn't affect so much like sitting around and driving in my car or like listening to an album that I like. But like when I sit down to really take music apart, I think, again, these concepts of sort of like, so one, one of the things that I have sort of argued in terms of my own work and my own analysis and my own videos is that they are first and foremost a journaling exercise, right? They're, they're not, 
me trying to tell you how the artist wrote the song. And they're not me trying to tell you how you hear the song or how you should hear the song or the real secret to why the song is so good or whatever. It's an exploration of how I hear the song yeah, through the lens of my understanding of music theory. And that is, I think, very different from how this stuff gets presented a lot of presented a lot of time in like pop media. Like you see these articles like music theory proves that this artist yeah. wrote a good song this one time. And you you read the thing and it's like they do these things that like they have a chromatic They wanted to write a sad song and so it was in a minor key. Wow, music yeah, theory. I still like I may have mentioned this on the podcast before, but I'm I'm gonna mention it again because I remember like the first time I really encountered this was an article about it was Adele's Someone Like You. It was when that was blowing up. Yeah. And they were talking about how like she she knew it was gonna be a hit. She had this formula. And like one of the parts of the formula was melancholy lyrics. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, yeah, no, if you want a sad song, you probably yeah. want to write sad lyrics, I think. <laughs> I don't know. Like I'm I'm just a music theorist. I don't know what I'm talking about, but that seems kind of obvious and so and that's that's the level that a lot of this stuff will work at and it will then sort of use that as a way to argue some sort of objective meaning or or even some sort of subjective meaning right like arguing that this has this impact on you because you have these like associations connotations whatever and i think that sort of implicitly for a long time but recently much more explicitly i have been approaching my work from the standpoint that I cannot speak to how you hear the song. Yeah. And all I can do is speak to how I hear the song, and you can decide whether or not that resonates with you. Hmm. It's interesting, because I'm I'm thinking about, like, what you do and, and how this kind of impacts what I do on my channel. Yeah. Because I think, I think that in this sense, like, what I'm trying to do generally is... I think a very similar thing through a very different avenue because yeah. the same way that you're trying to kind of just like bring your experience of the song kind of uh, theoretically and share that for insight, I'm trying to bring, and we've talked about this before, like the way yeah. that I engage with music tends to be socio-historically and most of my videos are kind of trying to bring that to you. And in in a very... It's interesting because in this lens, even though our videos take very different approaches, both of them are essentially like you and I kind of taking our experience of something and through this framework, using it to change that song. Yeah, yeah. I think that, again, a lot of this for me sort of revolves around the concept of shared externalities yeah, and like the things that we can agree on and... To mine, for instance, the transcription is something that, for the most part, we can't agree on. Like, there will be some chord label stuff, you know, like in the video I just did about Bohemian Rhapsody, like, you look at the first chord, and is that B flat 6 or G minor 7? I don't know. It's B flat 6, but, you know, it. Yeah. you could say G minor 7, and you would be entirely correct as well. But, you know, you couldn't say that it contained an A flat. Because because it doesn't. No one's singing one of those, unless yeah. you know you wanted to retune your. Ed. We're not getting into tuning. 
but yeah, no, the, the transcription part is sort of a shared externality that we can, in principle at least, agree on. And the same way with, like, the historical record, right? Yeah. Like, songs were released in the years they were released. They were written when they were written. They, like, they came out during specific historical moments. Like, these are things that you can just state as facts, assuming they're true. Yeah. But then what that brings to the experience of listening to the song is your decision. Actually, just to elaborate that slightly, I want to be clear that it's not necessarily your conscious decision, right? Yeah. Like, that that is just, it is a thing that you are bringing to the table based on your interpretation of all of the available information. It may or may not be a decision you're making intentionally. You just might happen to know some facts and they happen to shape your, right? So this is not necessarily a conscious thing is the only point I wanted to make there. Yeah, yeah. I think, I I, I think it's a, uh, I, I feel like I just keep saying I think this is interesting because I do really <laughs> think that it's interesting. I think the the challenge that comes with this approach is then kind of in a way almost like not quite like undermines but it really it it definitely puts stress on the ways that we talk about and engage with music when talking to each other if we yeah. if we take this perspective it almost it almost necessitates not necessarily a wholly new way of talking about music, but it definitely necessitates kind of like mental reframing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that like part of that is that, you know, again, in everyday like casual conversation, you can just use shorthand, right? Like if I say this song is good, you know what that means in context. And sort of to draw a wildly inappropriate analogy, one of the things that happens in physics is that like, you know, you have all these like really advanced, complicated models uh, you know, like, you know, uh, special relativity, et cetera, et cetera. But like one of the constraints that's been on them for centuries now is that like anything, any model you propose has to reduce to Newtonian mechanics at human scales because Newtonian mechanics just works. Yeah. We know it works. We know it's correct. And so like we can get into all of these complex sort of philosophical ideas about like what art is, what music is, whether blah, blah, blah. Art, like artistic quality, whatever, but that sort of has to reduce to us being able to talk about things in the fairly in a fairly straightforward way, like Newtonian mechanics. Again, like I said, that analogy was not useful, <laughs> completely pointless. I could have made that point entirely without it, but you know, I just wanted to show off that I know a thing about physics. But yeah, like in the end, whatever you and I talk about, like whatever we agree on about how music works at some sort of high level abstract nonsense, it has to be able to reduce to me just saying a song is good. Yeah. Right? Like that that has to be something that I can do, even if, you know, behind the scenes, that's not really what's happening. Yeah. Like that, that has, like, because that's just is a thing people do. It's a thing people do a lot. It's a thing that means a lot to people. And so it's something that doesn't really make sense. Because again, if we're talking about this sort of as sort of philosophical and cult- like a cultural construct, is it needs to reflect how these ideas are used in culture. And one of the things we do in most musical cultures is say that songs are good sometimes. Yes. Yeah. So, so then. Or say that pieces of music, songs is a complicated, anyway. Yeah, yeah, with, we're kind of like ostensibly talking about in the title of the episode that we haven't yeah. 
really gotten we into. We are half an hour into this and we have not gotten to the yeah, question yet. No. <laughs> is bad music. So so can you yeah. talk a bit about how you feel this kind of relates to relates to the topic of can music be bad? Yeah. So I think again, where this sits for me is that it sort of complicates a way that question having any real rigorous meaning. Because again, by the time I am asking you whether a song is bad, we are already talking about different songs. Yeah. And so I can sort of say like, oh, this song is really meaningful to me, or this song is really enjoyable to me, or the song is not meaningful or enjoyable to me to sort of move towards the bad side of things. But beyond sort of having some understanding, like, you know, I, I have some understanding of the sorts of baggage you might be bringing to a song, right? Yeah. We're friends. We've known each other for a long time, a couple of years, however long we've known each other. I don't know. God, how long has it been? Four like years? Three or something four like that? years. Yeah. Something yeah, like that. That sounds about right. Yeah. But anyway, like I, I have a good sense of sort of sort of what you like in some kinds of music. And so I can use my understanding of what I'm bringing to make some predictions about how you might react. But it's sort of, again, I, I think that, you know, if, if we're just going the artist objective, there is an art object out there that you and I agree on. We just have different viewpoints on. Then we can sort of talk about this concept of artistic quality in ways that sort of respect that subjectivity. We can engage with that concept. Whereas if, if the art is created by experiencing it, then again, I think it almost doesn't make sense to ask like, is this song good or is the song bad or whatever? Because again, the song is a, it, it doesn't even necessarily, because again, when we're talking about attachment, when we're talking about experience, these are almost sort of momentary things, right? Like yeah. My experience of, to keep using Welcome to the Machine, because it's a very good song, like my experience of it, if I went to listen to it right now, is going to be very different from my experience listening to it for the first time as a teenager in my dad's car. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's where I heard it first. But anyway, that's just a fundamentally different thing too, even though it is still Welcome to the Machine and it is still me experiencing it, I've changed and the context has changed. And so it sort of doesn't really makes sense to me to talk about whether or not the song is good in some in a way that separates it from the experience of experiencing it or the so, context of experiencing it i guess so, yeah so then so then i think that what kind of changes from this is the useful conversation is not why do you think this song is bad you know the yeah. useful conversation is what is your experience of this song? Yeah. And what aspects of it, uh, of that experience, lead you to not enjoying it or not finding it meaningful or whatever criterion you're using to determine that it is to you not a good song? That resonates with me because I like talking about music because that diversity in experience is always yeah. what's really fascinating to me. Like one of my favorite things is talking to somebody who loves something that I don't love and trying to figure out what it is about that piece that I'm missing, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, and we've had some of those conversations over the years. Yes, absolutely. It's just like, I, I think that that is sort of a lot of it is, the conversation I think is much more interesting if it is sort of like, okay, but what is the baggage that you're bringing to this that leads you to having this different, more meaningful experience and 
you know, can I replicate that, right? Like, maybe I can't. Yeah. Maybe I just don't have the background or the, the personal experience or, like, maybe I just don't want to. But, like, it's, I think, much more interesting to look at art through that lens of, like, how does it, how do I make this meaningful? And if other people say it's meaningful, what are they doing differently? Because, again, I think that this, a big part of this for me is sort of centering the active role of the listener. Yeah, and so you are, when you listen to a piece of music, doing a lot of things. And a lot of that, most of that is subconscious. Most of that is not something you're doing intentionally, but you can take a lot of conscious control over it. Like you were saying, sort of like listening specifically to the guitar, that's like a skill that you can develop. And I think that recognizing yourself as an active participant in your own musical experiences leads to better musical experiences is sort of... My general experience, I'm not going to, you know, live your life the way you choose, but that that's sort of been something that I've found to be very true over the years. Yeah, I think I agree with that. I mean, I think the, what I, I always try to, music that I don't like, I try to approach with curiosity rather than disdain yeah. when I can. I mean, this is also yeah. like, this is all very high and academic, but there's also something oh, where- yeah you know, sometimes a song comes on and you just change the radio station because you just don't want to hear that song. I always like to remind people, like I was mentioning earlier, like the stuff we're talking about here is very high concept. You can ground things a little. That's okay. Yeah. I never ground anything. Yeah. (laughs) But no, it's sort of, I think a thing that I've, I feel like I've talked about on this podcast like half a dozen times and for a long time, and this, this is becoming less and less true, but for a long time, I really didn't have a good understanding of how to appreciate most jazz. Yeah. Like, and that, that was something that, like, at no point was I like, oh, this is bad, but it just didn't really resonate with me. And what I found in that process was that I could just listen to the walking bass, which was a part that I really liked, and I could sort of take active control over my experience and focus on this slightly buried part and I would have a much more rewarding experience than if I was just listening to whatever was most obvious. Yeah. And on the other hand, like I think a lot of the time these days, I will, when I'm just trying to listen to music for fun, I will actively try to suppress the parts of my brain that are taking active, intentional control yeah. over the experience. Yeah. And like, I'll, I'll do something else to distract myself or something. Yeah. We've talked about that before. And I think that a lot of that's just a side effect of doing music for a living. Yeah. Is tur- yeah, really no, having overdeveloped to, parts of those parts of my yeah, brain. Yeah. Having to actively learn but, how to turn off those parts of your brain. Yeah. In as much as it is, I think, really valuable to be aware of the role you take being a listener, that doesn't always mean that it's more rewarding to take a more active role, right? Like, yeah. You think about like a roller coaster, right? You just, you strap in and go. It's not going to be more fun if you're just running along the tracks. Yeah. It's going to be a lot more dangerous, but you're going to get a much better experience out of a roller coaster by just actively choosing to be passive. Yeah. But I think that, and and that, that can be true in music, that can be not true. And it depends on what you're looking for, what mood you're in, what sorts of music you're listening to. And who you are. But, and who you are, yeah. But I think that, being aware that the choice to be passive is still a choice is still worth being aware of, basically. Yeah. Just repeating myself there. I Yeah, yeah I mean... The problem with not writing scripts in advance is that I sometimes say words twice. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, 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 being aware of that can help 
enrich your experience of something. Yeah. Yeah. Whether it's by encouraging you to be active or by making you more aware of your own passivity. Yeah. And I think that, again, all all of that is choices. Yeah. And it's better to make the choice intentionally, even if the choice you're making is to just be passive and let your instincts guide you. Yeah. Instead of sort of being like, I'm going to listen to three beats of the guitar and then shift to listening to the drum for seven beats. And that, no, just that's, that's a lot. Don't do that. Probably unless it's fun for you, in which case do it. I think, I think it's interesting because I'm sure that this is a like piece of criticism that you've got. Cause it's definitely one I've got on my videos yep. pretty regularly where people are like, why do you have to analyze it? Why can't you just like yeah. lay down and enjoy the song? Um, and I think that yeah, I mean, usually, usually the ones I get tell me to just do drugs. Yeah, but. <laughs> I think that that's a belies kind of a fundamental misunderstanding of just the myriad ways that one can possibly enjoy music. Yeah, it's that, and I think it's also not necessarily a misunderstanding, but I think it's a level of discomfort with the idea of being an active participant. Yeah. Right? Because I I feel like if you are an active participant, then you are taking on obligations. You are responsible in some way for what's happening. And I think that there is a comfort in not having that, in being out of control. Yeah. You know, the the, Tokyo Drift sense. But like... It's scary to think that you kind of have agency over your own taste. Like, I think, I think that is, that is a thought that is very foreign and unfamiliar and can be distressing to people. Yeah. Especially because taste is such a huge part of people's identities. Like I was going to say like other people, but like mine too, right? Like my musical tastes are a huge part of who I am. Yeah. And like, it is sort of uncomfortable to think about the idea that like, if I wanted to, I could completely change that. Yeah. And I'm not not sure to the extent that I could, right? Because again, a lot of these choices are always going to be subconscious. But like this idea that the fact that I like these things doesn't just define who I am, but is shaped by who I am, that there's a feedback loop there. Yeah. That, you know, I, I am choosing to engage with these sorts of art and choosing not to engage with these other sorts of art and that that is shaping me going forward because again if it's part of our identity then the choices we make in terms of what music to listen to shape our identity in the future it changes who we are and that's that's scary and it's one of those things where i i sort of get a little bit like anxious about just like ascribing other people's opinions as being misunderstandings of some fundamental truth that i understand you know yeah and so that that's sort of part of where this reaction is coming from is that i feel like a lot of it is sort of not necessarily misunderstanding, but possibly a discomfort with that understanding or possibly just a different understanding, right? Like, I mean, I'm saying that this makes the most sense to me, but I could be wrong. I'm just some dude, you know? I don't know why anyone listens to me. I think then, I mean, I don't know why anyone listens to you either, Corey, so that makes <laughs> two of us. <laughs> I think one of the kind of like takeaways here is like, there is a shift that you can do in your mind. You can make the act of choice to shift from the thought process of this is bad to the thought process of 
I am experiencing this as bad. Yeah. Yeah, that and also like I one thing that I really have found to be sort of my my go-to on this is just I don't understand this. Mm-hmm. I, like when I listen to songs and just like it, it does not make sense to me that someone could experience this as good. Yeah. And this is sort of I was going to give an example. I'm not going to give an example just because there's no reason to just take yeah. a song and be like, this song sucks, actually. Yeah. But there's like there's a lot of songs out. Actually, you know what? This, I'm going to use an example because I've used it on the podcast before. Whole Lot of Love by Led Zeppelin. Mm-hmm. It is very clear to me that Famously that song to a song. lot of people <laughs> is very good. Yeah. I don't get it. I have tried to get that, tried to understand the appeal of that song for like over a decade now. It makes no sense to me. <laughs> but like, that doesn't mean that it, that the appeal doesn't make sense to Noah. Yeah. Or that it doesn't make sense to a lot of people listening to this. And so like, sort of coming at this from the perspective of like, there is clearly a framework through which this is meaningful, even if it's just to the artist, right? Like, yeah. even if there is no other person in the world to whom this music means anything, to whom this music is in any way good, there is someone to whom it meant something or they wouldn't have made it. Yeah. Probably. Oh, that, that's not necessarily true. They're like corporate gigs where you just like make something that you're not proud of because they'll pay you. Like, I don't need to get, yeah. But Yeah, I think, I think that's a... It it is an interesting footnote to this, and maybe we can do an episode talking yeah. about kind of like corporate elevator music someday because it's its own whole situation. Because it is one of those things where like that is one of the few kinds of music that I look at, and it's like I have no reason to believe that there is anyone in the world who has ever experienced this as good. Yeah, yeah. There are definitely people who've experienced it as good enough. That's the point. Yeah. But like, is there anyone for whom this is a banger? <laughs> I just I just love playing anemic synth music. <laughs> <laughs> or just like hold music that's run through like four layers of distortion. Yeah, yeah. Just like Yeah, no. But no, like I, that sort of stuff is like is very easy to dunk on and I think that's part of why is just like there's this understanding that like this this wasn't made by someone trying to express anything. This was made by someone who's getting paid like a couple hundred dollars to make a thing that AT&T could play while I was trying to get in touch with a technician. And they didn't care, and AT&T didn't care, and, and just no one cares. What, what is interesting, though, is that, again, this is a whole other discussion, but, like, that concept of music, that aesthetic of music, is yeah. a big influence on Vaporwave, which is something that oh, yeah. a whole lot of people care a whole lot about, and uh, I see why, right? <laughs> yeah, and th- that's, like... You know, and that like that complicates the whole question of like, and, and this is a thing sort of to come back to the can music be bad thing. Like one of the the common sort of arguments I see made when people are arguing for some sort of objective quality, at least when they've moved past the idea of virtuosity as artistic quality, yeah. which is like I, I'm just going to say it's an extremely boring argument, and then I'm going to move yeah, on. Yeah, we've talked about that enough. It's a yeah, we yeah. it's a fraud approach. It's not anything. But once you've moved past that, I think the thing that a lot of people gravitate towards and something that I find a lot more compelling as an argument, even though I disagree with it, is that you can sort of measure objective artistic quality by looking at sort of how well an artist expresses their intent. Yeah. Right? And this is something we talked about in the artistic intent episode. It's something we talked about again with Sarah. But like... You know, there, there's an extent to which that is just unjudgeable. And this is, again, why I think... Well, and the thing is, like, that that analysis, kind of to go 
to your angle here, that analysis yeah. is actually not people judging an artist's intent. That's people yeah. valuing their idea of what the artist's intent may have yeah. been. Yeah, so that you can read something into it meaningfully. Yeah. Uh, but this, I think, is sort of like comes to, to a question you've been asking earlier about sort of the point of the sort of art as attachment thing is I think the art artist's subjective model allows room for the possibility of privileged viewpoints, right? Yeah. Like we can say you and I have different views and they're, they're both fine, but of course, you know, Roger Waters has a better understanding of what Welcome to the Machine is. Yeah. And, you know, the, I and that that argument, I think, feels reasonable. It's compelling. Again, I disagree with it, but it's like it doesn't seem wildly inappropriate, especially if you start from this idea that we all have this shared externality that is Welcome to the Machine. And then we go like, okay, Roger Waters clearly has a deeper understanding of what that object is than I do. Yeah. But... This is, again, one of the values of sort of viewing art as being created through experience and being a form of attachment is that fundamentally the welcome to machine Roger Waters understands is not the one I understand. And so his viewpoint cannot mean more than mine does because his viewpoint is of a different object. I mean, I think I think that that's something that like is kind of abundantly clear or I imagine it's abundantly clear to me. I imagine it would be abundantly clear to anyone else who makes art and have had the experience of like with my videos. And then also with like, you know, like I write and stuff like that, but like, especially with my videos, like the experience of me viewing this video is I've sat in a room and watched my videos with like, you know, family who's like, you know, family who's showing my channel to people or, whatever and it's clearly just a completely different experience for me as someone who created the video and it's also it's different in different contexts right like i i watch my videos on my computer sometimes a couple years back i got invited to a thing youtube does called youtube red carpet where they fly a couple like medium level youtube creators to visit their headquarters and give them feedback and then largely ignore that feedback (laughs) Shocking. But like one of the things they did was like the group of us who were there, they just had the TVs there set to play our videos. Yeah. Like over the course of the day. So you'd be walking through and you'd just see, you know, a Jeremy Fielding video because he was one of the people that was there. Like an Amoeba Sisters video. Uh, Like near the end of the day, I just like I walked by and I saw mine and it's just like it was an unrecognizable experience. Yeah. Despite the fact like I've seen my videos, I know what they look like. But just like walking past it casually playing on a TV at the YouTube headquarters was just a different thing. And that experience is fundamentally different from anything that I have ever experienced through my own work or that I ever intended to put into my own work. Yeah, it is a really weird experience as a creator and artist to have that sort of experience where you you see your work through a completely different lens and it's very it's jarring it's it's almost like an out-of-body experience right like you are getting a set because you know i think most people who make art think of themselves as putting some of themselves in their art yeah you know that not there are artistic movements where that's not really the case and that's fine but i think for a lot of people that's part of your conception of the work you've created and so you're getting this weird sort of external look at 
yourself through other people's eyes when you see your work through other people's eyes. Yeah. Again, that's a thing that really is a point in favor of your angle on this, you know, where it is a different, even to the person who creates this, who ostensibly should know this inside and out better than anyone. It's a different experience each time. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, even like in the process of creation like oh yeah what i found so often is like i'll be drawing like i'll be doing my animations and i'll draw something and i'll be like wow that sucked yeah and then i'll be editing and the only difference is that i'll be looking at it through the camera's lens instead of my own eyes which is at a slightly different angle and of course i've had time and those two factors together most of the time lead to me looking at it like oh that turned out pretty good yeah and so if I know that in that moment I was looking at that and was like, wow, this sucks. I did a terrible job. But that slight change in perspective and that slight change in I've both physical and mental perspective makes it different Yeah. before the art is even finished, before it's complete, before it's published, you know? Yeah, yeah. The Well, and then the question of like again the the question that started us off on this whole strange journey of like yeah. can can something be bad is it it really like like the more we interrogate this kind of perspective the more evident it becomes that the you know the can something be bad argument really just falls apart if you start to look at stuff yeah. like this cuz like it's Almost like, can something even be something in a way, you know? Yeah. Like. Again, I like to think of like, how tall is purple? Yeah. And it's just like, that. that's not a question. Yeah. That's, that's a series of words. You you can sort of trace, like the, it's grammatically correct, but it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. And that that's sort of how, how I've come to think about, like, can the, any particular piece of music be bad or any particular musical experience I guess less so musical experience. I think it is more like a piece of music because the point yeah. is that a piece of music is separate from a musical experience and a musical experience can be good or bad. Yeah. I think that that is still true. Well, but and again, but, but that is again, just for you. We've mentioned this before too. Like this is talking about like bad on a kind of like qualitative, like yeah. artistic level, because I believe there are pieces of art that can be bad on a societal level. You know, oh, yeah. like things yeah, like that. Like that's which, a whole different conversation. Yeah. Like talk about like bands like Burzum or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Like, and and we've mentioned yeah. this before. Like we don't need to open that up. But I do think that yeah. that's something that it's important to make clear like, that yeah. um, yeah. like that isn't actually you, you know when you do when you look at like this perspective of you know can something can two people even share the experience of something two people might not be able to share the experience of a work of art, but they can share the experience of the influence of that work. of yeah. art. They can and, share yeah, the experience and, of the culture that comes in the wake of that art. Yeah. And you, you can be in that sense, influenced and affected negatively by someone else's experience of a work of art. Yes. And so, you know, and, and obviously it's a lot more complicated than that. And that's, as you say, a whole can of worms and we should probably save it for its own episode. But I think I, I agree it's worth being clear that, like, you know, art can be made by bad people and art can make bad arguments. 
and it can put forth bad viewpoints. Yeah, I would also even say like different than different than that, like completely unrelated to that too. I would also say, I mean, this is one that I'm not entirely sure about, but I don't want to get fully yeah. into. But like, I can see arguments for you know a piece of art can be performed badly. Yeah, you know, depending on. I mean, again, there's a whole lot of questions there. Yeah. What is your rubric for performance and stuff like that? But that's something that. I have more room for in this space than something just like the badness being this kind of quality that exists metaphysically of this work. Yeah. And this, I think think we got into a little bit in sort of our cover songs episode Yeah, is just that, you know, when, when you are sort of directly competing with someone's previous experience, that sort of becomes more of a clear competition and you can, I think, Again, at the end of the day, ultimately, I still don't think it is like technically philosophically correct to say that a cover is bad in any sort of yeah. deep, meaningful, like objectively true or even subjectively true way. I also kind of feel like that's pedantic and not yeah. necessarily helpful in a way. And again, the sort of similar to come back to the sort of the music by bad people argument is that I feel like I can make sort of the academic philosophical argument that in some like important way this music is not bad but i also think that when you say it's bad that's not really what you're saying yeah and i'm sort of to, it's sort of linguistic sleight of hand to transform it into a discussion of like the philosophical truthness of artistic quality right yeah that's because that's that's not what you're saying when you're no. like oh bursum is bad and i keep using bursum because you know yeah, it's but about as good an example of that I as you can feel get. pretty good about the Bursum example. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, no, I think this this is, is I, I think like it, it it's easy when you're sort of getting this deep into the philosophical weeds to sort of lose track of the social implications of your arguments. Yeah. And so I think it's important to be clear that, again, like if you say Bursum is bad, I like. I'm not going to fight you on that. I do not have it in me to spend that much of my time and energy defending Burzum on these weird philosophical grounds when yeah. what you're saying is that, you know, white supremacist murderers are probably not worth supporting. I think there is a level to which, and I think this is a good thing, not white supremacists. I think no, it's, yeah, a go- I, it's a good yeah, thing think, that... Yeah that this sort of discussion, you know, invites this sort of scrutiny. Like, I think I think yeah. these sorts of ideas, like, should be kind of inspected from all of the potential angles, you know, of the implications yeah. of what you're saying. Because I do think philosophical approaches to stuff can be very powerful. Yeah. It, it's easy, yeah, easy to sort of lose track of the fact that none of this exists in a vacuum. Yeah. And that, therefore, the arguments you make have potential implications and... You know, you have to be clear about what the the limitations of your arguments are yeah. to avoid making really bad and dangerous arguments by accident. Can an argument be bad? <laughs> what is an argument? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. I think we've stretched this conversation topic thin and really yeah. turned it around. I mean, the I can't believe an hour has gone by. It's It's felt really fast to me. Yeah. But to those of you who are still around... To those who left uh, sorry, already, first of all. you won't hear this, but I realize this very much is not a lot of people's idea of kind of like 
music talk. But for those who have stuck yeah. around, thank you, because I love this sort of conversation. And I'm sure yeah. if you stuck around, you probably do, too. Yeah, like, weirdly, a lot of people seem to be into this sort of thing. I don't get it. But, <laughs> you know. I'm someone who's into this sort of thing, and yeah. I don't get how people are into this sort of yeah, thing. It's just like... <laughs> I just look at the fact that I have a career doing stuff like this. It's just like, why? Yeah. <laughs> are you guys, are you listening to the things I'm saying? Do you not have better uses of your time? <laughs> just some dude saying weird stuff. But anyway, um, imposter syndrome aside. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I think that, I think that that's about, and we didn't like super get to the question at hand. Like we, we, we had drag, we didn't like not address it, but like the whole, like, can music be bad? I think, Part of the reason I wanted to is because, again, my, my argument is that it's not really a question that makes sense to ask. Yeah. And that makes it sort of hard to dedicate that much of a conversation to. Yeah. But I think that it, yeah, hopefully was a useful jumping off point to something for someone. Maybe. <laughs> I like your conviction there, Corey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have never once been convicted of anything. How dare you? <laughs> All right. Well, thank you all so much for tuning into this conversation. Just like as a as a little aside, this is not relevant to our conversation at all. But I am yeah, incredibly grateful that there is a place where we can have these sorts of conversations and that there is an audience that is interested in engaging in these sort of conversations. So just a little shout out to all of you because yeah. this is stuff that like, Usually when I try to talk about this stuff with some of my friends, their eyes kind of glaze over and I don't blame them. Yeah, no, I I completely agree. I think it's like, I was sort of joking about, you know, it's weird that I have a career doing this, but it's also really cool. Yeah. And, and also like just shout out to you, Noah, for like oh. being one of the few people in my life that I can do this with. You know? uh, I appreciate these conversations as well. It's it's a yeah. it's a symbiotic relationship. Aw. This is a real wholesome Friends. ending to an episode. <laughs> yeah. In conclusion, all music is horrible, <laughs> and if you listen to it, you're a garbage person. Yeah, yeah, you you made a mistake. Yeah. I, I think that's I think that's it for I think that's it for today, right? You got any more thoughts, Corey? Just that this podcast is available a month early on Nebula, which you can get with the subscription to Curiosities. No, um. Oh, yeah. We never mentioned that, <laughs> do we? That <laughs> no, just seemed like a great way to ruin the, you know, yeah. sentimental ending. Yeah. You know, li- listen to this on whatever platform you want, you know? Yeah. They're not particularly timely discussions, but they are available on Nebula a month early, I guess. We also do have, it's worth, I guess we don't mention this enough. We do have like, there is a Ghost Notes Twitter. It's not very active, but we're yeah, I, we're very interested in like episode ideas and stuff. So if you have something that you'd really like us to talk about, especially yeah, I, I, if it's a more kind of like abstract thing like this, like clearly we both love this sort of conversation. So if this has sparked anything in you and in general, like if you have any thoughts on our stuff, like, feel free to tweet at us. We might not respond, yeah. but it's there. We'll probably read it. Yeah, like, I <sighs> I remember to tweet from that account once every, like, six months. But, yeah, you know, we, we do read stuff. And, yeah, it may, may be useful to, like, run some polls on there at some point. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know. We'll, we'll figure out something to do with it or we won't. But in the meantime, follow it, it or don't. Reminder that it exists. At Ghost Notes Show. All right. Bye. Bye.